you can have all kinds of career success, but without relationships, it's empty. You can have fame and publicity and everything going great for you, but without relationships, means very little. You can even go to Disney World, but if you go by yourself, I mean, it's sort of hollow, isn't it? So relationships are what ground us in life. They're what give us our security. They're what give us meaning to everything else that goes on. But the reality is we live in a world that is very, very dangerous to deep, long-term kinds of relationships. And the evidence is all around us. You know, often relationships, instead of being uh, that ground for meaning and purpose in our life and joy. Don't relationships a lot of times turn out to be the ground for the greatest pain and the greatest loss of meaning that we experience? And the crazy thing that I've seen is that it is possible for two people to really love each other deep in their hearts and yet be so separated from each other and so distant in their relationship. And that relationship, the gap between them, so filled with conflict and hostility, misunderstanding, that these two people that love each other the most end up being the ones that hurt each other the most at the same time. So relationships, what what is it that is so often missing in that gap in between? Well, that's what this series is all about that we're in right now. We're calling this series Life Skills because most often what is missing when relationships fail are, life, are a set of life skills. Uh, and we're looking at a set of life skills that come to us from the wisdom of the Scriptures, from the wisdom of the Bible, God's Word. And uh, you may be, now there's some, maybe some here today that are just ser- searching out Christianity, searching out faith and God and all these things. And you may, you may not really believe that this book is, could be so amazing as to be God communicating with us in words. Well, whatever the case might be, we're just glad that you're here today and want you to listen in today. But the wisdom we're looking at is straight out of the scripture. So we've already looked at three life skills The first week, we learned to communicate without attacking the other person. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about not making false assumptions when we have partial knowledge. It just creates false expectations of one another. Last week, we talked about the family tree and how unhealthy kinds of patterns, they get passed right up the family tree from generation to generation. And, and And that's true of every one of us here today. Things that have been passed on to us, even if we came from a great family, there's still things that are not healthy there that we need to be able to identify in our generation so we don't pass it on up to the further branches in the tree. Okay, today's life skill is called exploring the iceberg. Now, this picture of an iceberg is something that we're very familiar with here at Calvary Church because we use this metaphor an awful lot. The reason we do that is because it's such a great picture of our lives. You know, the 10% of an iceberg is just like the 10% of our lives that are above the surface. That's our public self. That's the part of our life that everybody sees, and it's certainly the part of our life that we try to make as, look as sharp as we possibly can. Keep it. You know, we want to look good on the surface, and that's okay. That's normal. But then there's that other 90% of who we are 
that is that private self. That's the part that never sees the light of day. That's the part that's underneath, and nobody else sees it. Sometimes we don't even know exactly what's inside. It goes so deep. But who we really are is determined by what's underneath, either healthy or unhealthy, because that's where our beliefs and our opinions, our attitudes, our way of thinking, our coping mechanisms, our struggles, our habits, our secrets, that's where they are. They're under the surface. And in all of us, there are layer upon layer upon layer of these kinds of things in our lives. That's why God's real attention, when he looks at your life and mine, his real attention is right there under the surface. For this reason, the healthier we are under the surface, the healthier we're going to be above the surface. And what we've just said also applies to our relationships. If you were on a scale of 1 to 10, or 1 to 5, make it 1 to 5, if you were going to measure how healthy you are as a person underneath the surface, and say you came up with a a 3, well, you could take that very same number, and it would also be the number that indicates how effective you are in building relationships and living in long-term relationships because the two are in direct proportion to each other. We're not going to be any healthier in our relationships than we are deep inside of ourselves in that under-the-surface 90% of who we are. That's that's just a fact. Those two correlate together. Now, here's the rub, okay? Here's the tough thing. We are a broken humanity... We're a broken humanity here. We are all part of the broken family of Adam and Eve. We're their descendants. And Adam and Eve pushed God away. They pushed God out of our world, and they pushed God out of our relationships. And their attitude was, we can do this on our own. We don't need God around to do this. And what that means is that every single one of us in this room, without exception, including the guys sitting up here teaching this this morning. We all have stuff under the surface of our lives that hurt us, but they also hurt others, and sometimes the people that are closest to us. So here are two really important questions we're sort of going to look at this morning. The first one is this. How aware are you of what is under the surface in your life? And the second question is this. What action are you taking to deal with the unhealthy things under the surface of your life? What action are you taking to deal with those things? Now, in this series, we have taken as a theme what I believe to be the most honest prayer that has ever been prayed. It's a prayer that was prayed by King David in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is how the prayer goes. Search me, O God. The word could also be translated, investigate me, God. Know my heart. Test me or examine me and know my anxious thoughts. Why did David put anxious thoughts in there? Because I think David was saying, Lord, look at all the 
things that stress me out in, deep inside my life that cause me grief and that stress other people out and, and, stress and cause grief to other people. Look at all that stuff. See all that stuff in me, Lord. And then verse 24, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And notice the phrase that he uses when he ends that prayer. He says, lead me on the road to everlasting life. I think what David is saying is, if we want to go forward in our lives and in our relationships, then it is going to require that we let God point out to us the things that we need to deal with down deep inside. So, why so often don't we deal with the stuff that we wrestle with under the surface? Why don't we? Well, it made me think, um, my granddad, way back in the 50s, mid-50s and early 60s, when pro wrestling was in its infancy, now it's getting started on TV, and it wasn't the crass and objectionable kind of stuff that goes along with the pro wrestling thing today. I mean, the violence in the pro wrestling back then was very innocent. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Can you put those two together? No. It was, it was, it was a different... It was a different it was just more fun. It was more entertaining, I guess you would say. So my granddad was really into it, and I was into it too. And uh, my brothers were into it as well. And I can still remember the names of a lot of those wrestlers. Um, there was Fritz von Erich. Uh, his trademark was he would get, when, after he had pulverized a guy and they were laying on the mat pretty helpless, to finish him off, <laughs> he would get on the top rope. And he had this thing that was called the claw. He would get his hand up here like this, and then he would jump and Put the, apply the claw to them. Now, let me say this too. It was all fake, okay? Just like it's all fake today. All right, that's one thing that hasn't changed. Uh, but there was Man Mountain Montana. There was a guy named Bobo Brazil. He used a headbutt to knock people out. Uh, so it kept me captivated and my granddad too. But then there were the infamous Gallagher brothers. They were a tag team. Now, they were mean and they were tough. And most of all, they were just dirty wrestlers. They were unfair. They broke all the rules. And they were also always facing a tag team of crowd favorites. Two guys that were good guys. And every week, the drama was the very same. But we loved it. Uh, one of the good guys in the ring would be getting just pounded on. And Sometimes, and I don't know how this worked, but it seemed like the ref, he would always have his back turned to the Gallagher brothers. And both of them, which is not right, both of them would be in the ring working on this guy and pounding him. It was good for ratings, okay? But it was also good for the setup. Now, my granddad and I would be on the edge of our seat. Uh, we'd be yelling at the ref and angry at what was going on. But we also were waiting for the inevitable turn of the tide that was going to take place. And it always happened like this. Uh, the good guy, as he's just laying there getting beat up, he finally finds the energy to stick his hand out toward his partner, who's, who's also standing outside the ring, leaning in as far as he can to touch him, because that was, that was the way you got to your, your friend in the ring. You had to snap hands, okay? And then what would happen is 
As soon as, as soon as his partner, fresh with energy and muscle, he'd jump over the ropes, he'd come in, and he would just wipe the mat with the Gallagher brothers. He would toss them out of the ring. They'd be sprawling out on the floor. And then the two good guys, and this is the way we wanted it to end, the two good guys to the cheering crowd would stand there with their hands up and be declared the winner. And then Granddad and I felt like the world was all right until next week, <laughs> until next match. Now, <clears throat> all right, I'm just saying all that to say this, that there is another tag team that puts a lot of holds, that put a lot of holds on people to keep them from dealing with their issues and their struggles. And the names of this tag team are Pride and Shame. Now, let's take a look at the holds of each of them. Here are the holds that pride uses. Pride uses minimizing the issues and, even worse, denying the issues. Pride says this, I don't want to admit this problem. I don't want to acknowledge that I have a problem. And if it's not really a problem, it's not really something I need in myself. Uh, and, and pride just can't take an honest look and see something for what it really is. So pride minimizes and pride denies. But why, why do we let pride lead us to denial? Well, I think there's one reason for that. We do it to protect our self-worth, our self-image. And you know, self-worth is a very, very important thing. But the sad thing is that our pride is willing to lie to preserve a false self-image. And that doesn't help anyone at all. Uh, because we can't build relationships, and we cannot really live life effectively if, if we're really living out a false image of who we are, a discontinuity between who we are above the surface and that deep issue that's below the surface that's damaging us every day of our life. So pride, that's... The, but, it, you know, the second part of this tag team is even more formidable than pride. Shame. And here are the holds that, here's the hold that shame uses as a, as, a, as a hold on a person to keep them from dealing with their issues. It basically is this statement. If anyone ever knew this about me, they would reject me. If anybody ever knew this was going on in my life, I wouldn't be acceptable anymore. Um... And you know, that's a very lonely, trapped place for a person to be. And the thing about shame is that usually this is a person who really wants to conquer that issue, but they feel trapped because they don't allow it, they, they would never allow to, they would never let themselves share this with anybody who might be able to help them. Now, a lot of Christ followers struggle with shame. And here's why. People that follow Christ, they want to please him intensely. They, they want to please him. But then, a short distance into their living for Christ, they find that there's still some issues that they're not happy with about themselves. And so, Shame 
shame puts this hold on them. What, 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 what kind of issues might those be? Well, let me just name a few. Maybe it's a Christ follower, follower who's suffering with panic attacks or depression or anger. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's a critical spirit, a critical attitude. Maybe it's some sort of a fear or a phobia. And you begin to, and, you're, and so you have this in your life, and you're saying, what kind of a Christian am I with this going on in my life? You know, someone no less than the great Apostle Paul He gives us a very personal, detailed glimpse into his own life and into his own terrible struggle with shame in Romans chapter 7. He tells us about early on in his spiritual life, early on after he became a Christ follower. This is his struggle. Now I want you to listen. I'm going to start reading uh, some excerpts from Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse number 17. Just listen to this. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I know God's perfect law, but I still can't keep it. The power of sin inside me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I realize I don't have what it takes. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to not do bad, and then I end up doing it. Something has gone wrong deep inside me and gets the best of me every time. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I delight in God's commands, but there are parts of me that rebel when I least expect it, and they take charge. I have tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And then he says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and and does. He acted to set things right. In this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am constantly pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So you see, for a while, even the great Apostle Paul felt like a miserable failure as a follower of Jesus Christ because of the stuff in his life that was still there. Now, that was also my experience for the first few years of my walk with Christ. You know, I came to Christ, and like most people who do, there's that initial six months or year or two years where everything is new in Christ, and you're, you're soaking in the Bible, and you're, you can't get enough of church, and you're singing hymns in the car, and you're listening to Moody Radio. I mean, you, you just absorb, you, there's sort of a eu- euphoria that's inside your life because it's real. You've discovered Christ to be real. But then somewhere along the line, you also begin to come up against the struggles with the old patterns that have been there many, many years. And you're finding, like Paul, I can't. This thing is strong in me. I'm not winning this battle. I'm, I'm getting beat here. I'm a lousy Christian. Now, I had... That kind of an experience. I had a deep desire to please God. But I would come to the end of my days. Most every day I would come to the end of that feeling like a failure because of old habits, attitudes, shortcomings, flaws, inadequacies. I would have said something I shouldn't have said. Uh, 
But you know what my answer was? I'm going to try harder tomorrow. But you know what? Tomorrow night, I would feel even more disappointed because the harder I tried, it just didn't work. This is the effect it started to have on me, and this is where this thing gets dangerous. It became harder and harder for me to even read the Bible because every time I read this book, I saw how far short of it I fell. <laughs> I wouldn't, so it was a struggle to read the Scripture. I didn't want to go to church because... I'm not measuring up. And I didn't want to pray because I feel like I had to spend my whole time praying, confessing a list of sins that I had committed. I never got beyond the list in my prayer. I, and the worst thing was, um, I felt that God, uh, here's the phrase I used to think, I, I must be, I'm in God's doghouse. Uh, he's, he, you know, when, when, uh, when, they, when, the, when the word goes out, hey, Lord, Jim Nichols is down there praying. He wants to come into your presence. I could imagine God, well, arm's length with this guy. He, he's failing me. He's disappointing me. That God was frowning on me. Now, the word for what I was living in is self-condemnation. And I have met a lot of Christians who are living that very same way. But what we need to do is we need to go on from Romans chapter 7 and go into Romans chapter 8. Because here's what Paul says, the very first verse of Romans chapter 8. He says this, So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, the word condemnation means judgment. It's God's judgment against sin. Here's what Paul's saying. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are in Christ. And what that means is you are no longer condemned for your sins, for your shortcomings, and your failures. Why is that? How can that be? Because Jesus Christ was condemned for you in your place when he chose to go and hang on that cross. So what that means is this. He was condemned and judged in your place. So every flaw and every sin and every addiction and every struggle and every habit that you may be dealing with today down underneath the surface of your life If you're trusting him as Savior, all that stuff has already been condemned. Jesus took that for you. So if that stuff's already been condemned and Jesus took it for you, then why are you today still taking that condemnation yourself? I heard a story about a guy one time that uh, was walking along the road and he was carrying this big burden. I mean, his, he could hardly walk. It was pushing him to the ground so tightly. He was about to fall over. And so someone came along with a cart, horse and cart, and he said, hey, man, I'd be happy to give you a ride. So the guy with his heavy burden jumps up on the, uh, the wagon, and they're zipping on down the road there. Pretty soon, the, the driver of, the, of the, the cart, he turns around, 
And he sees this guy still standing there holding this burden. It's crushing him. And so, you know, he said, well, hey, man, what are you doing? You let the burden down. You don't have to carry that burden now. That's what, that's what we're saying here. When Jesus went to the cross, every shortcoming in your life, I don't care how deep it is in the iceberg, he was condemned for that for you so that you don't have to go on living condemned for that. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't God care about this flaw, this addiction, this struggle that's in my life? Doesn't God care about that? He doesn't just turn his head at that, does he? Absolutely not. In fact, there's no one who wants that issue in your life to be pulled out of your life more desperately than God. No one. But here's the thing. Jesus went to the cross for two things. He went there to die so that we could be forgiven and no longer condemned for our sins. And secondly, to come into our life so he could begin redeeming us from all those issues that hold us back. So if you trust him as your savior today, he has not come into your life to condemn you. He has come in to help you with those flaws because he bore the condemnation on your behalf. I think that's one of the most important things that a Christian must know and hang on to every day or Satan, who is called the accuser of God's people, he will put condemnation on you and make you feel like a lousy, lousy Christian. So let's go back to the wrestling illustration for just a second. Here's what we have to remember. That as a Christ follower, you're part of a tag team too. And sin, or shame and pride may be doing their best to pulverize you, to pound you, to put all their holds on you. But here's all we have to do, is we have to get up, we have to take our hand and reach it out, and we're going to find that, that our tag team partner, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's right there reaching out toward us. And when our hands meet like that, the Lord, he jumps into the ring with you, and together, uh, together the whole tide of that struggle in your life is turned. And what ends up, the Lord gets you up on your feet. And this time, it's not a false you, it's the real you. And then you stand at center ring, and your hand is lifted up with the Lord's hand, and you're declared the winners in relationships and life. Here's what, here's what it boils down to. We forget that the foundation of our relationship with the Lord is not based on our perfection and our performance toward perfection. If it was, then we would not need Jesus. But our relationship with God, it's based on Jesus' perfection and on his performance on our behalf. He came and he lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And then, as the sinless one, he died, as I said, taking that condemnation for all the sins and flaws and imperfections that are in our lives. So that two things could happen. Let me repeat them. One, you could be totally accepted by God because your standing with God, your acceptance with God is a matter of grace. 
and not how well you perform. It's a matter of his gift of grace to you based upon the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ, in which you are trusting. And the second thing is, so that this one who lived that perfect life, he can enter into your life and begin the process of replacing all that old stuff with his own life skills. And you know, that's really what spiritual growth boils down to. It's our walking with Christ and trusting him so that he can, so that he can share his own life skills with us. We can have the same skills for building relationships that Jesus Christ has. That's what he's sharing with us. He's putting his love in our life. And uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, tells us exactly what the life skills of Christ are that he is sharing with us. It says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness Self-control. Those are nine things that are the skills for building relationships and building life. Christ has come in to help us conquer the inward enemies and step by step by step place these life skills in our lives. So now, how long will Christ stay in the ring with us to win these battles? How long will he stay? As long as necessary. (laughs) That's how much he loves us. Jesus isn't going to, but what if I slip and fall? What if if in this battle with this issue in my life, I I slip and fall 10 times? What if I fall 50 times? Will the Lord still be in the ring helping me? Now, of course, I'm not talking here about, hey, uh, oh man, the Lord is such a great forgiver. Ah, Well, I just go out and sin and I go out and mess up and I, I only have to worry about that too much. No, Paul also talks about that in Romans. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about a person that really deeply inside takes being a Christ follower seriously, really wants to please God. That's their deep desire. But they keep messing up. They fail here and here and here. How long will the Lord put up with me? I'll tell you what. His grace is inexhaustible. He'll stay with you in the ring until until the job's done. But what what about that level of struggle way, way down on that iceberg that is a secret sin. It's a secret issue. It's a secret addiction or struggle. Nobody on the planet knows about it. It's the kind that I would be so ashamed to ever tell any other person. Does, the great, does this, all this grace of God, does it still, does it go that deep? Uh, you know, what happens sometimes those deep layered struggles that we keep buried in deep secrecy and shame, they are the result, a lot of times, of of someone else's sin against us. A deep abuse, a deep trauma, and a lot of times it happened when a person's young. And in your attempt to cope with that thing, a lot of times we do that in very unhealthy and very unwise ways. They lead, and it leads to more issues. It can lead to issues like, and I'm just going to list a few more, emotional disorders. It can lead to depression. It can lead to bitterness. It can lead to addictions like pornography. It can lead to other sexual confusion issues, food disorders, 
obsessive-compulsive disorder. It can lead to controlling fears and identity confusion. It can lead to dependence on alcohol and drugs. That's how all these things get into our lives. So the question is, will the Lord stay in the ring with me to conquer these kinds of issues? Romans chapter 5, verse number 20 is a tremendous statement. It says this, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. So Jesus is in the ring with you as long as it takes. When you slip and fall, don't lay there falling back into self-condemnation that you've just disappointed God so much that he could never care about you again. The opposite is true. Get back up and, and stay in the fight with the Lord. One step closer to, to winning that match and conquering that issue. Now, here's the closing statement this morning, or the closing challenge, let me put it that way. Will you commit to taking the action steps to overcome those surface, those under-the-surface issues in your life? And I ask the same question to me. And what are those steps? Well, the first one would be trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And there may be some, one or two, maybe here who have never done that. We do that by realizing that on the cross, He did take the blame for all of our sins. And if we'll invite Him to come into our life, He will do that and forgive us of all of our sins. And I'll tell you what, there's, one of the greatest feelings in the universe is when you have a load of guilt lifted off your shoulders. That's what Christ does. That's the first step. The second one is taking this prayer of David's and making it your prayer every day of your life. Lord, search me, search my heart, know what's inside of me, deal, help me deal with that stuff. The third one is keeping in God's word, staying in this word, letting it saturate your heart. And another very, very important one, for, especially for some of these deep issues in life, you know, a lot of them require, they, we are not going to win that battle by ourselves. It's going to take a trusted person or two or three that you're able to confide in. The book of James says this, confess your faults one to another. Confess your struggles one to another. That doesn't mean unwisely and indiscriminately. That means find some trusted people to whom you can open up your life and become transparent. And when we do that, just the very act of doing that begins to drain that secret, begins to drain away its hold on us. There's something freeing in that. And then you're going to have one or two other people that are standing with you, that are praying with you. And together with the Lord, that's the combination for victory. One other thing that attaches to that, and that is sometimes these issues require sitting down with a Christian counselor. I refer people to Christian counselors frequently. The reason I do that is because they, they've been gifted by God and they've studied human nature and human life, and they're able to bring some insights that click, you know, the light bulbs will start clicking inside of us to help us come to grips with some of those deep things that otherwise you're just going to keep hanging on to our lives and dragging us down. And there happens to be you know, some counsel, a couple counselor numbers on the back of your bulletin. 
If you, want to, if you have the courage and need to take that step, I want to encourage you to do that. And the reason I'm getting so practical toward the end of this message is, is because that's where the Word of God always ends up. The Word of God is not a, a string of great concepts, theological concepts. Now, there are great concepts in here, for sure. But it's when the Word of God is put to work in the nitty-gritty of your life and mine that our transformation and our change takes place. So I want to encourage that for our church family today and for everyone that's here, uh, that um, we allow God to work in our life. What will be the gain? Well, the gain will be this. You will go forward in both relationships and in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much about us There is no issue in our lives, Lord, that could ever cause you to turn away from us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took the condemnation for all the the stuff that is under the surface of our lives. You took the condemnation for that so that we could have grace and forgiveness and allow you to come in and help us overcome those issues. So, Father, continue that work deep in our lives. And we uh, are going to give you great thanks and great praise for the way you love us. We're thankful, Lord, to be on your tag team. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.